0: Well, grace, peace, and mercy be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I have to apologize uh, to you. You see, the season of Lent historically in the Lutheran church, or a lot of Protestant churches, is a season of of darkness and repentance. Uh, You kind of get the idea of death and gloom, of ashes and sackcloth. Uh, The season historically has been taught as if the church needed a time uh, of death and despair. A time of, well, we got to really prep for the resurrection. That's historically what the church has done. And so you see a darker color, a darker motif. A lot of hymns or songs tend to be about the suffering of Jesus on the cross. They talk about the suffering in our own lives. Many of you grew up, right, during the season of Lent, needing to give up something, right? Just a show of hands, how many of you uh, were uh, forced, I mean, encouraged to give things up? Right. I mean, the phrase was something along the lines, if you really love Jesus, then, right, okay, uh, at least uh, that may be how it was in my household. Well, if you really love Jesus, uh, you know, eight weeks of no TV would be, you know, not a problem. Ha <laughs> ha! Not a problem! I mean, the idea that I grew up as a kid with the season of Lent was that it was about being painful that it should hurt, that I should be reminded of the great sacrifice of Jesus. Here's the problem. It's not in our theology. Oh, we believe in the suffering of Jesus Christ. We believe that God wants us to acknowledge that Jesus Christ suffered for us. But nowhere in the, all of theology is, you need to now suffer for Jesus. Nowhere. Nowhere does Jesus receive the benefit of you suffering. Nowhere does Jesus or God the Father or the Holy Spirit, for that matter, get a blessing because your life stinks. <laughs> oh, hey, look down there. They're going through a divorce, they've got lots of debt. Oh, and they were in a car wreck. They've got the trifecta. Well, they're really devoted. <laughs> That's not what's happening up in heaven. Now, are there hard times? Are there extreme challenges? Are we all going to go through very difficult things in life? Yes. And is God sovereign over all of those things? And is he allowing them? Yes. But those things are being allowed so that we can be trained up. So that the dross, right, the impurities of our life can be purified, can be burnt off, can be scraped off, can be pruned away. You see, the season of Lent has actually and historically been a season about not getting rid of things, but putting things on. The season of Lent was meant, okay, if you're gonna give up chocolate, that's fine. By my self-deprecation of not eating the elixir of life. You were then to spend the time that you would normally be eating chocolate in prayer. If you denied your two hours of TV watching at night, it was because you spent those two hours reading God's word in prayer, devotion, and in service, To the people around you but we've lost that sense and so now the season of lent for most churches is all about how much can you brag that you've given up and see the point is missed it's not about you the season of lent has actually meant to try on new things the church actually used it as a great and glorious time historically the church said, hey, tell you what, why don't you try new spiritual disciplines? And people were like, what? What's a new spiritual discipline? Well, I-, I don't know. How about a labyrinth prayer? And you're like, whoa, what's a labyrinth prayer? Well, literally, you could put a design out into a garden or many places uh, where you would walk one square into the labyrinth. You would pray a certain thing. You'd walk another square. And you would go in this labyrinth or a a circle or a maze prayer and all of these. And all it was was to change up your day, to change up a, a portion of your life so that you were exposed to new spiritual disciplines. How many of you, it's okay, we're amongst friends here. Just go ahead in a minute, just confidently raise your hand. Do not pray before every meal that you eat. Just go ahead and raise your hands. Sinners. And <laughs> my hand was raised too. We're all in that bow. Right, so we just got it all out on the table, right? Here's a spiritual discipline, all right? You say, well, well, give me an example of a new spiritual discipline. A new spiritual discipline would be we are going to hold each other accountable for the rest of Lent No matter where we are, in our home, out at a restaurant, we will pray before our meal. Again, it's not because the food you haven't been eating isn't blessed, it's because it's trying to align your heart and remember that the food you're about to eat is God's blessing to you. And you're saying, God, may it bless this body and may there be no calories misplaced where we do not want them. In Jesus' most holy and precious name. Hey, don't be afraid to pray for what you want. That's the taking on of a spiritual discipline. Most of us have to admit that the reason we don't take on things is because, quite frankly, we can't take on more because we've got so much going on. And when somebody dares to say in your life, you know, You might try to do something less. Well, you just don't know my life. I've got a lot of responsibilities. A lot of people counting on me. There's a lot of excuses. So it is tough during the season of Lent to take on a new spiritual discipline because, quite frankly, we won't give up what we like to do. I'm not even saying that what we like to do is necessarily sinful, but God, during the season of Lent, is going, hello, can I have your attention right here? I'd like you to be in a daily devotion. A daily devotion. (laughs) Who's got time for daily devotions? And have you read through that daily devotion they got out there in that West Entryway? My gosh. It, It is challenging. It asks me to think of things I have never thought of before. I mean, I read through week two, and I, I could swear I'm a racist. <laughs> and I've never thought of that that way before. Or, oh my gosh, I have been stealing time and energy and effort from God. I, I don't want to read through a daily devotion. It makes me think I'm bad. I know. I'll just not do the devotion. <laughs> uh, yeah, my life's so much better. And that's why we don't read scripture on a daily basis. You know why you don't read scripture on a daily basis. You don't want to hear a word from the Lord. Because you know what that word's going to be. Sinner. I'm telling you, right? I know I am. Do I have to hear it over and over again? Yes. Why? Because you need to be on your knees in humble submission to the word of God so that he can grow you. He wants to grow you. Where you're at isn't... He's not done. He's not done. This is why the gospel... Somebody says, what's the gospel? Literally, the word gospel means good news. Well, what is the good news that Christians say that they have? This is it, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die for every single person in this world and that his death, what he did was he took our sin upon his back and he died the death you and I deserve. We deserve it. We're the sinners. And the good news is, is that for those that believe that, there is eternal life with God forever. And it is the greatest news that has ever been shared with the world. But it's not totally accurate the gospel is that and the gospel is yes eternal salvation for all who believe and a resurrected life here today a better life today I didn't say pain free I didn't say disappointment free I didn't say sin free I said better this is what we get When you read Isaiah 61, Jesus reads these words or confesses these words when he goes in to the temple. Early in his ministry, he reads these opening words. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, and they will be called oaks of righteousness. Jesus quotes this in Luke and in Matthew, and then he stands and says the fulfillment of this scripture Is here today Jesus says the kingdom of God is here not just for eternity it's here today and the gospel the good news is here for you today it means that your broken heart can be bound back up it means that in the midst of despair joy hope and peace don't tell me this world doesn't need it many of you are probably aware one of our local school districts, kid took his life and then his mother did the same last week. From Christmas to February, despair upon despair, hopelessness, all hopelessness. Don't tell me this world knows Jesus and they'll figure it out on their own. These people need to be walked next to and lifted up and encouraged and be gospeled to truly give them the good news and the hope that though this pain stinks. pain will be wiped away, and that there is hope for tomorrow, and that there is joy and gladness. This world needs you. It needs you to share that with your children, to share that with your neighbors, so that they can share it with their neighbors and their co-workers, so that the body of Christ can be built up. And this has been Jesus' plan all along. Do you understand what a great gardener he is? I don't know if you grew up in the Midwest, it's kind of the middle of the country, it's neither west nor uh, east, uh, not north or south, there's actually brown dirt, I don't know if any of you have ever visited there, it smells good, it has richness in it, and it actually, you just put a little water, some seed, and a little bit of sunlight, and stuff grows like crazy, okay, not like out here where we're high desert, and we're over there trying to do chants or whatever, please rise, please rise, you know, we got greenhouses all over the place. I mean, we're doing everything we can to get it to grow, right? For crying out loud. Jesus, the master gardener. Think of the stories and the things in scripture that you're aware of that you know about him talking about spreading of seed, right? And that some will be choked out by the uh, travails of this life, but others will fall on good soil, uh, that, that the master gardener does go around and prune. That he doesn't want just good things in your life. He wants great things in your life. So God might even be pruning some activities that you do in your life that you really even like or enjoy. But, but he wants to prune those away so that you can do great things in this world. That's, that's the kind of gardener he is. I want you to think back for a minute when Jesus is in the tomb. On resurrection morning... Mary comes to the tomb and she thinks she's going to anoint him. And who does she meet? Scripture says she meets a man she thinks is the gardener. And do you know how right she was? Do you? Do you know how right she was without even realizing it, that she was meeting the gardener? The one that was about to take her life, which was well made, God does not make junk. Yes, a life that had fallen into sin and disrepair. A life by all standards of in any time and place that no one would have wanted with Mary's life. And yet, Jesus' death, redeemed her from death. He paid so that she didn't have to die. And then he wanted to restore. And that's what a gardener does. Is it takes a little seed, which looks like something that's dead. It puts it in dirt. It uses fertilizer, which we all know stinks. It takes all the junk, all the things that look inanimate, and he takes those holy waters of baptism. He marks you. Whew. And he breathes on you. And you begin to grow. And he cultivates. And he prunes sometimes. And he gets you ready. And then you start to bear fruit. And then you start to proclaim the year of the Lord's righteousness. And all of a sudden, you, who you thought were just this little seed, inconsequential, that God couldn't use, he says, an oak of righteousness with deep roots and with power in the boughs to stand and provide shade, to stand and provide sustenance, to bear a fruit for the people around you. And it is no wonder that when Jesus cultivates his garden and those that are in it, People flock because they're all after the Garden of Eden restored. Do you understand? That's why you have life here and today. It's to be restored today. Yes, in eternity, Jesus will come to take us all home. It'll be awesome party forever. But until then, today, an oak of righteousness, praise and honor, joy, not mourning, not suffering, not hopelessness, but an oak of righteousness. And the master gardener, that's what he's doing. He's training you up. He's making you into the plant, bear fruit, do what he wants, not what you want. Let the gardener work. For my sake, for your neighbor's sake, for Jesus' sake, let him make you into the agent of the gospel that he wants and needs you to be. Amen.